to Civil War Talk Radio with host Jerry Prokopovich. Our program covers all aspects of Civil War history, from the battlefields to the home fronts, and features guest experts, plus insight from your host as they discuss the most critical period in American history. Now, here is your host, Jerry Prokopovich. This is Jerry Prokopovich with Civil War Talk Radio. The story of the volunteer militia company known as the Greensboro Guards, who became Company D of the 5th Alabama Infantry Regiment, is not just the story of a military unit. It's the story of Greensboro, Alabama itself, and the integral role that this unit played in the formation and identity of that town. We'll hear this story from G. Ward Hubbs, author of Guarding Greensboro, a Confederate company in the making of a Southern community, tonight on Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America Interactive Radio Player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, coming to you from the third floor of the magnificently appointed Brewster Building on the campus of East Carolina University in Greenville, North Carolina, not Greensboro, North Carolina, and not speaking for the university or the UNC system or anyone else, just for myself, as likewise my guest will do the same thing, just speak for himself, the way we always do on Civil War Talk Radio, including tonight a dark night in November 2016. The clocks have changed and the sun is long gone. The super bright moon that attracted attention is not anywhere to be seen. So we're just sitting here in the dark, uh, the dark night of the soul in many ways for, for many people. No sports news this week because all the teams I care about lost last week, including the, uh, the, the one you are most interested in, the Greenville United uh, recreational soccer team in the Pitt uh, Soccer Association, uh, the PGSA, Pitt Greenville Soccer Association. We dropped a 2-1 to decision in the game. We, we should have won. We had a lot of shots on goal. 
one more game left in the season, and uh, we'll we'll keep you abreast of that. But while things are not good out on the field, they are wonderful here at Civil War Talk Radio, where we have big news as we welcome the newest member of the Civil War Talk Radio radio network, uh, 91.7 FM, SBB Radio, a streaming station and also a low-power FM station from Claxton, Tennessee, also serving East Oak Ridge, South Clinton, and North Powell, Tennessee. For the last 13 years, Civil War Talk Radio has been exclusively an internet radio station. Uh, That's what we called it at first, then podcast came to be the term to describe what it is we're doing here. Never uh, actual radio, which confused people. I I get emails from uh, people who are trying to sell me products that would only be useful on a terrestrial radio station, and I have to ignore those. So we we have never actually gone out over the air until now. uh, A low-power radio station in Claxton, Tennessee, contacted us, asked if they could uh, add to their content. They stream content uh, just as as like Civil War Radio over their their internet presence. But they also have an actual transmitter and send out to the the good people of Claxton – a lot of programming based primarily on bluegrass music, which, as I wrote to the uh, the person in charge of the station, I, I enjoy in moderation. Uh, I'm really a fan of the old-time, pre-bluegrass, traditional style of music more than that, but a little bluegrass is okay. And so we're happy to be going out over SBB Radio. You can hear this program Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday at 9 a.m., If you're driving within, I think it's about two and a half to three miles of the transmitter in Claxton, Tennessee. Small, certainly, but I see this as the start of of big things. Uh, Today, Claxton, tomorrow, West Knoxville. Uh, Our sights are set high. Soon we'll be heard by perhaps dozens of people over the air. As well as, uh, in here, I don't exaggerate, the the tens of thousands, uh, 20, 30, 40, 50,000 downloads that we get monthly uh, of these shows. Possibly it's all the same person, I'm not sure. It may be one person who's just binge listening and uh, downloads 50,000 different episodes monthly. But I'm guessing there are more of you out there than that. And uh, hopefully you are enjoying what you're hearing and looking forward to more as I am. We will not be back with a live show next week because it's the Thanksgiving Holiday week, you see, will be closed on Wednesday, given up the pretense of trying to hold classes the day before Thanksgiving, which can only lead to eventually being closed Tuesday and Monday. Actually, that's not not even uh, not even kidding about that. The faculty senate debated having a whole week at Thanksgiving and giving up the fall break in October, but there is no more welcome break in the world than fall break in October. Uh, and the faculty overwhelmingly voted not to do that. But we won't be here next week. Uh, We'll be back on November 30th with M.R. Cordell as our guest. She's the author of Courageous Women of the Civil War, Soldiers, Spies, Medics, and More. Then a book, uh, a picture book. I'll describe each and every photograph in it to you in detail. 
or better still, encourage you to buy it yourself. The book is called Faces of the Civil War Navies. It's an album of Union and Confederate sailors produced by Ron Coddington. Then on uh, a late addition to the schedule, one more show in 2017 on December 14th, Taya Miles uh, from my home mater, University of Michigan, will be here to talk about uh, her book, Tales from the Haunted South, Dark Tourism and Memories of Slavery from the Civil War Era. Something a little different. Maybe it would have been good at Halloween, but we'll play it during the Christmas season. And then we'll take a few weeks off for the holidays, coming back uh, in December 2017. Just to let you know what to look forward to in the new year, we've got uh, three shows lined up for January. The 11th, Dan Welch has a book on the Gettysburg campaign, and we'll find out why we need another such book. Uh, We do, but you'll learn why when we get there. Uh, On October 18th, Pamela Toller, author of Heroines of Mercy Street, The Real Nurses of the Civil War. It's a companion volume for the recent PBS series, Mercy Street. And then a return visitor to Civil War Talk Radio on the 25th, Matt Hulbert, comes back to join us. He has a new book, The Ghosts of Guerrilla Memory, How Civil War Bushwhackers Became Gunslingers in the American West. Uh, Cannot go wrong with that topic. Sounds interesting. Looking forward to reading it, talking with him. You can get all these books. The best way is by going to www.impedimentsofwar.org. And click on the icons for the books. Mark Gaffney, who maintains the site, puts them there. And you can, uh, if you do that, if you click on the Civil War Talk Radio website, Impediments of War, then you go straight to Amazon, but the click-through leaves a penny in the drawer as you pass by and helps the website maintain its presence. For some reason, it helps... uh, considerably more if you subscribe to magazines that way. So if you're interested in uh, the Civil War Monitor, for example, Outstanding Civil War Magazine, then get to Amazon via Impediments of War, then make your subscription, and that will help us all. You can also donate directly to Civil War Talk Radio from the website. There are PayPal donation buttons there. Just click on them. It takes you right to paypal.com reads your mind, figures out what your bank account is, empties it into mine. Uh, you do get to specify the amount, actually. Uh, CivilWarTR at AOL.com is the PayPal destination. Earlier this year, I started the Kitchen Remodeling Fund appeal. That did not go particularly well in the sense that it generated no funds whatsoever. So we're dropping that and returning this one to the traditional books and fine bourbon fund. Uh, that's what your money will be spent on. It's not tax deductible. Don't declare it. Just send it here, and I'll take care of the rest. Well, tonight we will take care of discussing a uh, remarkable story of a military unit, but it's not like any other unit history you may have read. Uh, the subject is Company D of the 5th Alabama, but that doesn't even begin to suggest what it's really about. So let's talk to uh, G. Ward Hubs, our guest tonight. Uh, Guy, are you there? I am. I Welcome am. to the show. Well, thank you. This is uh, this is an honor, I must say. Well, I'm delighted you can be here. You, your name was suggested to me by a, a listener some time ago, and I 
truthfully told him I had had your name on my list of people I wanted to invite to the show for some time, uh, knowing about this book, uh, which, which came out, I'm looking at the spine here, 2003. Uh, and it just one thing after another, I didn't quite get to it. I'm really glad to have finally connected with you. Well, I'm glad uh, I'm glad to connect with you. <laughs> so, uh, just for background, uh, uh, tell us a bit about your your day job, uh, uh, where you teach or have taught. Uh, what? Well, I, what I was at Birmingham got- Southern, and I still sort of am. Uh, it's you know, it's a very fine liberal arts college here in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, I actually retired last year, but I uh, still am the archivist for the uh, Methodists here. So I come up from Tuscaloosa uh, twice a week, and I look after their archives. And the rest of the time, I'm writing away, researching and writing away. So I uh, I keep awfully busy. I, I imagine I've, almost everybody I talk to who's started retirement says they their their schedule gets more full instead of less is is that true for you oh yeah absolutely and i loved it here i i um uh, i still do i mean i love my colleagues and we all chum around and i come up here we have lunch we have a great time and it, it's just been a delightful it's been uh, it's been a great life, you know. <laughs> uh, that, that's a wonderful, wonderful thing to hear. Now, pointing out that you taught at Birmingham Southern gives a clue to the the next question, which is why choose of, of the the hundreds, if not thousands, of southern towns that might be considered representative? Uh, why Greensboro, Alabama? That fell into my lap, actually, and you know it's kind of interesting how how accidents turn into just wonderful things. I was, uh, many years ago, I was assistant editor at Alabama Heritage down in Tuscaloosa, and a fellow came into my office with a very small, I'd say three by five uh, inch diary from uh, January of uh, 63 that had passed down to his wife's family. It was written by a fellow named John Cowan. And he asked me what to do with it. Well, I read it, and as you can imagine, January of 63, there's not a lot going on except trying to keep warm and mm-hmm. trying to find some food. And I said to him, well, well, I said, you know, is there perhaps something else he wrote? Because if he was writing in January of 63, chances are he was writing some other times, too. Well, a week later, he comes in with a uh, hardbound, full ledger volume that begins a record of events transpiring in the campaign of the Greensboro Guards 5th Regiment Alabama Volunteers. And this, is his, this was Cowan's diary, and it, it was so extraordinary, he didn't even start with the day he started with an introduction to his diary. After the election of Abraham Lincoln to the presidency of the United States by the abolitionists of the North, and on and on and on, you know, like that. Mm-hmm. Well, I read this thing, and I a couple things jumped out at me. One was that it was exceptionally well-written, very literate. Turns out that Cowan had an earned MD from Jefferson Medical School in Philadelphia, which is still a very fine medical school, and had gone to University of Virginia. The other thing that jumped out at me was that some of the names seemed familiar with me to me. So I went across the street 
to the special collections, and within you know 15 minutes, I'd found two more diaries from the same company. Well, that's pretty interesting. And I said to uh, Larry Cole, my friend and mentor, Lawrence Frederick Cole, um, I think I'll edit these into a volume. He said, oh, don't do that. You, do, you can't do that. You, gotta, you, can, you can do that, but first you've got to write a book. He had been working for years on the Irish Brigade, and he said, you know, I, I'm dealing with 6,000 guys. I have yet to find any diary. You've found three diaries just from one lousy company. And I said, well, I'm not a Civil War historian. And I said, he said, okay. So I went home over the week, and I said to myself, hey, listen, this doesn't come up across every day. So I went in Monday and said, okay, I'll do it, you know. I eventually found eight diaries from the same company, eight. And I uh, did, in fact, um, edit those into a single volume, Voices from Company D, which is, I don't mind saying it was just extraordinary because, uh, you know, one diarist would die just as another one would enter the company. And so it 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 has a complete narrative all the way from the beginning to the end. And and even beyond Appomattox, one guy makes it all the way back home, uh, writing in his diary back to Alabama. You know, so it, it, it was a pretty amazing thing. It really is uh, amazing to eight that a company of no more than a hundred men originally is, is a, an astonishing high percentage. Well, we're going to find out more about what these diaries say and what what the story is behind Company D of the Fifth Alabama, the Greensboro Guards. We're talking tonight with G. Ward Hubbs, author of Guarding Greensboro, a Confederate Company in the Making of a Southern Community. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. This is Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z 
g at ecu.edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. Talking tonight with Guy Hubbs, author of Guarding Greensboro, a Confederate company in the making of a Southern community. Uh, the company is from Greensboro, Alabama. And, Guy, one of the points you make, really, the the heart of the book, it seems to me, is the discussion of how Greensboro, Alabama, like so many towns on what was then the frontier in southwestern United States in the early 19th century, was a wild, I won't say a lawless place, but a, a, a place that was hardly a community. It was just a bunch of people who came and went looking to make money, grow cotton, buy more slaves, move on. Uh, and and that that uh, the the real story here is how it, not what how a community falls apart, but how one comes together in the first place. Uh, I think that's it, exactly right. And by the way, I don't think lawless is too far removed from the truth. You had uh-huh. pe- you had people uh, floating around pretending to be uh, Methodist ministers who were really crooks on the run. Uh, uh, you had. People coming in as school teachers who were um, illiterate. It was just a crazy time, and uh, and again, this was this was almost like the Silicon Valley of the 1830s and 20s and 40s and all that, because um, this area was uh, at the time the most um, the richest soil for growing cotton in the world, or at least it was thought to be at the time. So people were coming in, buying land, selling it, moving west at a prodigious rate. Uh, and and people really don't understand or, or don't really appreciate just how transient it was. I was fortunate enough to be able to get a my hands on the Masonic records for Greensboro, which I looked at for over 50 years. The Masons are very interesting because they take everybody's role every month. It's not like the census. It's every 10 years. It's every month. And I, I discovered that only about one in 10 Masons stayed in Greensboro through the 1830s. And during the 1850s, less than half of them were likely to stay even five years. So it's a huge transient place. And this presented problems of... Um, of building a community. I had one fellow who had been out of Greensboro for six months. He comes back in and says, uh, where is everybody? I don't recognize a soul. He writes back to home and he says, uh, how can we have feelings of community when everyone's a stranger? You know, so this is a problem and and they they face that head on. Well, you you talk about the ways they try to build communities. And, and what I found interesting about this was you could apply it to uh, other frontier town studies. I'm thinking uh, Sugar Creek by Max Farragher comes to mind uh, the, up in Indiana. Or was that Illinois? One of the I states. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I lived in together. Indiana for Iowa, a long time. Illinois, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I spent a lot of time in Indiana. I shouldn't uh, say that. But the uh, but, but traditional studies of these frontier communities have, have let, looked not looked the way you have, it seems to me, at what brought these people together. And uh, you find they tried, there were many possible ways to bind people economically or through 
education right. or religion. Uh, right. But the and, Greensboro and they, Guards, go ahead. Right. They, they did this in, in, in typical American fashion because the, you have a, an impermanent population. They formed these voluntary communities, whether it was to build a school or to bring in a railroad or to build or to grow better crops or to, you know, push temperance. But it was the, the local militia company I discovered that was really central and of course, they had no way of knowing this in advance. That became central to building not just a community, but a southern community. So, um, you know, when I first started this, I thought that this was a Civil War com- um, military com- um, company. Turns out, uh, they had been mustering since the 1820s, and they mustered into the 1870s. But um, so so the civil war was just you know the big their big moment but they had been going all along and uh the 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 company the militia company did several things um but among those was every man was could join and you had people who were very very wealthy joining and then you had people who were not wealthy at all joining and then but their virtues they were they were charged with taking care of the local population and looking after those them. And so when the war came, of course, this, this became a matter of life and death. They were putting their lives on the line for their community. And, uh, this is not the same thing as a voluntary community of people who are moving about and carrying on. You know, this, this has a real impact on people when somebody's out there shedding blood for you. Well, and as a militia unit, they're not like, as you say, they've been in existence for decades, but the universal militia that from colonial days is more or less moribund throughout the country by the the time of the Civil War is replaced by these volunteer units like the Greensboro Guards. So they are militia, but they're... They're elite militia. uh, They're elite, exactly. Yeah, they have a a two-tier system. But they're and, not like. But yeah. let me just say, in contrast to like Ellsworth's uh, Zouaves in the North, who are just good at parades and so on, these people also have a, a, a quasi-military function of, of preventing. Oh yeah, slavery. and there, there's no two ways about it. This area is one of the heaviest concentrations of uh, plantations, which means that uh, there were areas south of Greensboro. Greensboro is not actually in the Black Belt, but it's on the edge of it. Uh, where ninety percent of the population in the precinct are black slaves. Not only that, what makes this this whole thing just so super archetypical is that you had Santo Domingo refugees living uh, in Greensboro and all around Greensboro. These people had escaped that uh, the Santo Domingo revolution in the late 18th century, early 19th century, and they brought back these horrid tales of what happens when you let uh, slaves free. They go and they murder everybody. Well, uh, the white population is scared to death, and they uh, look to the Greensboro Guards to protect them from from uh, the, these slaves. So they, they had an immediate uh, use, not just 
when it came to the Civil War. This is this is in neon. You know, when we're looking at at Greensboro, we're not looking at something subtle. We're looking at these things in neon. It, it's very clear that, that yes, they, they are not the the sort of mock uh, military units that, that Lincoln writes about, the Springfield Militia of 1850. No. <laughs> it's a very funny piece. Uh, you point out these guys had to serve actual slave patrol duty 24 nights every calendar year. So they're, oh, yeah. they're, they're much more real. Now, there's still, there's a, a sense within the town of, of competing identities. People are, are there to make money. People are there to do other things. And my reading of your book suggests the turning point comes with secession. There's a, a vigorous yeah. argument over it, but when that's over, it's over. Yes, I think that's absolutely right. Um, and the most obvious example of that was the um, newspaper editor, who was a, uh, a Douglas supporter. He was a unionist, and uh, an avowed unionist. Uh, before secession, everybody just sort of let people have their say, and, you know, if you want to do this, you want to do that, that's fine. I mean, there were limits, but, but uh, generally... People had their own way of doing things. Well, secession comes, and Alabama is on its own, and overnight, people just stop, and they they demand unity, and that's a word that hadn't been used before. Uh, I, this whole thing, by the way, the, the, I, I looked very carefully at their use of language, and that's mm-hmm. a very interesting thing. I, I don't want to... Um, sidetrack you on this, but the, no, no. The very, their very language changes uh, as as their views of society and of themselves change. So at the secession point, for example, they are screaming unity for the first time, and the newspaper editor is uh, is made to shut down. He, he's he's sent out. He does come back later, and he and he writes this. Uh, I'm sorry, I really didn't mean it. <laughs> you know, but, uh, but they demand at secession. They they it's an about face. So at that point, uh, you're you're with us or you're against us, uh, yeah. and everyone everyone gets aboard. So so this suggests certainly the beginnings of a a sense of shared identity and community different from what went on before. Absolutely. Uh, The the Greensboro Guards, they they go to war. You described the, the, I'll call it the campaign of Fort Morgan. Uh, Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that moment. Well, that that really wasn't much. It was just sort of fun, you know. Um, uh, The governor takes over uh, the Forts Morgan and Gaines, and then the uh, U.S. Arsenal at Mount Vernon, even before Alabama secedes, and they send the guards down there to Fort Morgan to, uh, you know, guard it and all this stuff. And it's just, it's just a romp in the sand. You know, they have a great time. And if war is going to be that, this they should have done this years ago because (laughs) it's a lot of fun. Well, yeah, they, they come back, they get work. a big parade. Yeah, yeah they, they come they, back to Greensboro, and it's the greatest thing since, uh, I don't know, it's just the greatest thing on earth, and the women just fly out the doors, and my heart pitter-pattered, and all this other stuff, you know. Um, well, this 
this is not a this is not a premonition of things to come. <laughs> so no. as they find Nothing. out when they get to Manassas and they walk over the fields and they see you know bodies and pieces of flesh all everywhere, and that's a bit of an eye opener. And of course, it just goes downhill from there. Well, they they get to Manassas too late to engage in the battle, but it is uh, by this time they've been organized into a regiment, the Fifth Alabama. They're right. Initially designated Company I, later Company D. Right. The, uh, the, the, tell us about their first actual combat experience. Well, Seven Pines, I guess, is the, is the worst of it. Um, and Malvern Hill, that's, uh, that's when they are, several of them are killed um, or severely disabled. Um, it's a real eye-opener for them. Um, and, and by the way, I, I, let me just say that they are in the 5th Alabama, whose uh, colonel originally was uh, Robert uh, E. Rhodes. Robert Ro- uh, Rhodes is promoted. Eventually, he's like the only fellow ever to get a, a battlefield promotion by Stonewall Jackson. Um, uh, Freeman calls him, uh, likens him to Beowulf, I think, uh, as just one of the great, um, one of um, Lee's lieutenants. Uh, anyway, so they're in one of the storied regiments in the Army of Northern Virginia. And as such, not only are they in that, but they are themselves one of the big units. So... Um, so they're in the thick of things. They get uh, up to sa- South Mountain uh, before, well, they get to Sharpsburg, and they're sent to South Mountain, and they're captured and sent to Fort Delaware, and then, the, you know, they get out. But at Chancellorsville, is quite interesting. They are, they're the flag company of the 5th Alabama. They carry the flag at the front of Jackson's Corps, on the first day of his great flanking movement at Chancellorsville, uh, and and he's, I mean, they see everything. They see Jackson being carted off after being shot. Uh, the next day, they're pursuing the Yankees, and um, they're surrounded. They have the flag, and uh, um, they they come up to him and say, "We take your flag. You're surrounded." And the the uh, flag carrier bearer, and by the way, they went through several of those, as you can imagine. Flag bearer says, essentially, no Yankee's going to get this flag, and throws it like a javelin into the woods. <laughs> yeah, it was recovered, by the way. It's down in Montgomery. Um, huh. during, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no. I, I, so so the, the continue on. Then from Chancellorsville, Gettysburg is their next major stop. Yeah, they, they're at Gettysburg on the first day. They're in the thick of it. The, interestingly enough, the third day, uh, they're not in it, and they miss. They miss the whole thing. You know, um, they they write in their diary. Boy, there's a lot of cannon fire today. But uh, I wonder <laughs> what that was all about. <laughs> <laughs> and then the next day they say, apparently we didn't do so well yesterday. We're, le- we're leaving. <laughs> and then they go down. <laughs> you know, they this evacuate. Is... But, uh, so they, they did not see Pickett's Charge taking place. Right. They, ne- they never knew anything about it. 
which I, I'm sure this happens all through the war. People are unaware in the middle of the fog of war what's really going on, but it, it is kind of interesting. They they get, but again, they're in the middle of everything. They get to the Battle of the Wilderness, and and Lee personally orders them to into Spotsylvania's uh, bloody angle, you know, and um, and then uh, they're with Jubal Early going up and overlooking uh, from the heights of Maryland over, overlooking Washington, and uh, they end up in the trenches of Petersburg. Uh, they don't like that too much, as you can imagine, and they're, they're captured, uh, sent to Point Lookout, and one guy, one one Greensboro guard, makes it to Appomattox. After that, it's it, it's just it's just amazing how they were in the middle of all of this stuff. So so they experienced the the best and the worst of the experience of the Army of Northern Virginia, uh, and as you say, only one of them actually makes it to to Appomattox to surrender there. Right. But the story doesn't end there because, uh, of course, then the soldiers go home, and here we see the real uh, effects on Greensboro, uh, both during and after the war. We'll come back. We're going to take another short yep. break. We'll come back and talk more about what happens to Greensboro when the uh, Greensboro Guards, Company D of the 5th Alabama, returns. The book that describes this is Guarding Greensboro, a company in the making of a Confederate company, the making of a Southern community. The author is our guest tonight, Guy Hubs. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, and this is Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu.edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. 
talking today with G. Ward Hubbs, author of Guarding Greensboro, a Confederate company in the making of a Southern community. We've talked about this company, Company D of the 5th Alabama, its experiences at seemingly every, uh, not just every major battle, the Army of Northern Virginia uh, in the last two years of the war, but at every important point in those battles, uh, the flank attack at Chancellorsville, the first day at Gettysburg, uh, the wilderness, uh, Spotsylvania, and so on. When the war ends, the uh, the numbers speak for themselves. Thirty-three uh, of the the company. Uh, so we're talking about initially a hundred men plus some additional who who come as replacements. Uh, Thirty-three have died. Eighteen have been discharged for wounds. Thirty have been discharged for illness and other uh, uh, matters. Along the way, several have been captured, sometimes more than once. So they've, they've certainly been through everything there is to, to see in the war. They come back to a very different kind of uh, town in Greensboro. And, Guy, one of the things I wanted to ask you about is the way the war has changed even before it's over uh, at home. Because you write about this in a number of ways in the book, how the, the war is not in 1865, anything like what it was about in 1861. Could you talk about that? Yeah, and let me just begin by saying thanks for asking about the end of the war and what follows, because so many times we get to Appomattox and we say, well, war's over, book's over, you know, I'm <laughs> done. But but I'm really interested fundamentally on how the war changed these people, and by extension, not just these people, but people. I, uh, these people were super Confederates, and I think we can generalize from these people to all sorts of people. And But I, I'm interested in how the war changed other people, too. So in this particular case, uh, they come back to Greensboro, and Greensboro had been a very modern, uh, what we would consider a modern town, people coming and going, going after the the buck and all that. Well, they come back and things are, are completely different. Uh, they, they come back and it looks the same and they think they're going to pick up where things left off. Yeah, I know slavery's gone, but you know, they can pass a few laws and they can, they can, uh, uh, get these people working again, maybe not for much money, but yeah, we'll work it out. Well, that just isn't going to happen. That just isn't going to happen uh, because everybody's going in different directions. The uh, the free people are, of course, wanting all these rights that had been denied them for centuries, and uh, the the white people have have now come together into a community that's like an old community. So they had started out as like modern people, and I, in this curious sort of way, they had come become an old people. Their 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 view of their community was based not on competition or or cooperation and volunteerism and all that, but now it's thick because they have shared a story. Uh, and it's based on loyalty, loyalty among people who have who have um, uh, shared a common past. And as I mentioned before, you see this in language. It's very interesting. Mm-hmm. So 
before the war, they used the phrase, my people, as a euphemism for my slaves. During the war, they changed it to the people as a call for unity. And then after the war, the people becomes our people as a synonym for those who had supported the Confederate cause. You see it in other words, too. I I mentioned unity was the big Mm -hmm. word after secession, but when they come back, they're screaming loyalty all the time. And there was a fellow who uh, reads reads something in the newspaper that the... um, uh, union government is demanding loyalty, and he writes in, that's not loyalty. Oh, let me tell you what loyalty is. Loyalty is going to war against you folks and coming home and, you know, on and on and on. It's, it's not patriotism. Loyalty is something else entirely. And, and there, there are all sorts of clues like this that sort of hit you in the face. Um, and let, let me just say one other thing. These are not the clues, these are not the things that you see when you get up on the mountaintop and look down and see everything from, you know, space or whatever. You have to get down in the weeds. You have to see what's going on among people on a day-to-day basis. And just, that, that's the point of these micro-studies, is to see what going on. They can pass all the laws they want to in Washington, but these things have to be worked out on a day-to-day basis by people who see each other day-to-day. So in Greensboro, it wasn't pretty, you know, an an occupying Union soldier and a politically active freedman were murdered on separate incidents on Main Street by former Greensboro guards. A physician who had once ministered to the guards in Virginia became the town's only prominent scalawag. He was nearly lynched by the Klan before being thrown out of town. And on and on. These people are tight in a way that they was inconceivable before the war. So it really is ironic to move in in this opposite direction to, yeah. from uh, from a society based on ideas and a notion of equality and the opportunity of uh, the promise of capitalism. Anyone can get ahead. Anyone can be whatever he or she wants to be, can move up in society, uh, replaced by an almost tribal system where yeah. if, you, if, if you're if you with the in-group, if you did right from 1861 to 1865, you and your progeny are in permanently. And if you yeah. didn't do right, you're permanently out. Yes, that's right. And, so, you yeah. know, some people are skeptical about this. They say, ah, oh, that's kind of, you know, soft and all that. It's not soft. People, people are going around shooting at each other over these very ideas. Uh, and they express it from the pulpit. They express it in letters. They express it in the newspapers. It's there. It's, it's there for all to see, like on a billboard, if you just look. Just look in the right places. It, it's somewhat discouraging to to follow this analysis that the the freed people after the war then envision a kind of society in which their rights, having been uh, uh, vindicated and, and now enforced by the federal government, suggests that all men are, are created equal. We all have certain shared rights. We all are equal under the law uh, in the Constitution. 
and thus we're all members of a, a political community in that sense. We all have the right to vote. Uh, we all have uh, the right to participate. That's one kind of community, but the, the your argument here is the Greensboro Guards and the community that they have that has coalesced around them uh, will never accept that kind of community. That, that no, because it's built on loyalty. Loyalty has a different premise. Loyalty says that there are special relationships that transcend all of this equality stuff. So, you know, my daughter does something terrible. Well, she's still my daughter. So I, you know, I work on that. If somebody else had done the same thing, I would lock them up or something. You you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? We don't treat everybody the same way because we're loyal to certain people. Well, that works great in a family. But in this case, it's a, it's a whole community, and it becomes an exclusive community. So if you weren't part of that community, if you didn't actively participate in the Civil War, then you're never going to be part of that community. And that's that. Uh, what you're finding what? is that the, the freed people and the loyal community are just talking past each other. They, they, there's no common grounds here it, it it it's very interesting you got two people two groups going in opposite directions what i thought was particularly interesting is going back into the war momentarily as early as 1863 you have people in greensboro making an argument for the enlistment of slaves in the confederate army yeah very early uh, right after uh, vicksburg and gettysburg and by the way uh, in alabama the Dodges raid up in uh, northwest Alabama wrecked havoc, and people in mm-hmm. Greensboro and Utah, Alabama, were were expecting them to come roaring south. They never did, so they're scared. and And here you got places that are among the highest concentrations of slaves in the country, and they're saying, "Well, let's let's give it a try. Let's arm these guys." Well, of course, it never happened, but it was discussed all through uh, West Alabama and into Montgomery. And this is this is before anybody else starts talking about it. This, by the way, this has not gotten much play. <laughs> no, it, I, I was surprised to read this. The, the 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 quotes you have from people discussing this at that era. Now you make the point they are in no way. Uh, questioning the premises of slavery or right. or the, the they want to have supremacy yeah exactly that, that but their their devotion to their own safety and to independence is so strong that they're willing to undertake or consider this now at the same time you also show that that as a uh, what was once an aggregation of people who happened to be in the same place making money at the same time uh, turning into a community that doesn't go away altogether. Uh, you've got people during the war still looking to make money. I, I thought in particular the, the notion that, that before the war and there's not much hard money, uh, hard currency to be had, everybody just promises to pay everybody else and everybody's right. in debt to everybody. And you just keep exchanging debt. No one actually pays it off. It, it right, especially served. in the 1830s in the flush times. But then in, by 1863-64, some of these guys who owe a lot of money suddenly start hedging their bets and paying all their debts with Confederate currency. Yeah. I, I'm not sure how much that happened. I, I know it happened, but 
Mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm not sure the excuse me. Let me rephrase that. I'm not sure the impact of that. Okay. I, that's all I meant. Mm-hmm. It 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 seemed uh, it, there. There's always somebody who will take advantage of the situation yeah. uh, for personal benefit, as in that case. Yeah. But let me no, go ahead. No, no. I just wanted to say, if if you don't mind my saying, the, mm-hmm. the curious thing about this whole study I've made is the, the thing that I've never quite figured out is is that I'm puzzled why no one else, to my knowledge, now you're much more up on this than I am, but to my knowledge, no one else has tried to do anything remotely like it. and And it seems to me, you know, Here's this blueprint. <laughs> Go out there and look and, you know, try a company from the Midwest or try a company from New England or something like that and see what impact they made on their town. Did, the, did, did it fundamentally change the way those people thought about themselves? Did, it, did they come back? The only thing, and, and I know this is a law, this is a, a real stretch. I mean, Louis Menand wrote Metaphysical Club about how the war changed the way people thought about ideas. That's a mm-hmm. that that's a big deal. But and that's a great book. It's nothing like mine. But he's interested in the way the war changed the way people thought and believed, and I am too. But I've never I've never seen a company history uh, that looked about the relationship to the town and, and how it changed. And maybe you know one that I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 I offhand, no. I would say that there are increasing, there's an increasing interest in writing new uh, unit histories. I'm thinking of uh, Leslie Gordon's book in the 16th Connecticut, for example, that looks at a unit in a new way. Uh, but you're right, it doesn't focus uh, as closely on the home front as yours does. And there is certainly room for a lot more work to be done in that direction. And, and reg- the- regiments are, are misleading because they're made up of of units from all over the place. Well, they can be. That some are uh, each each company is from a single community. Uh, yeah, regiment they, I mean. they may be from they they could be from the same part of a state, possibly uh, depending which state you're talking about. But you're right; it's it's not as homogenous as a company. Uh, I think part of it is, is probably the the extraordinary fortune in finding eight diaries from a single company. Oh yeah, uh, I was lucky. <laughs> the, 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 maybe the resources aren't always there historically, uh, yeah. so it's harder for people to do that. Um, we have just uh, a minute or so left. Uh, say a quick word about your most recent book for our, our listeners. Yeah, I, I, um, I my, I'll make this real quick. I last uh, year I published "Searching for Freedom After the Civil War: Klansmen, Carpetbaggers, Scalawag, and Freedmen." It's uh, it centers on the most notorious woodcut political cartoon that emerged from uh, Reconstruction, showing a couple men hanging from nooses from an oak tree. Uh, you see this cartoon in. Um, in history books all the time as an example about how wretched things were in Reconstruction. What they don't tell you is that the, that there are four actual people with names that are involved in that cartoon, and they are the archetypical characters from Reconstruction, Klansmen, Carpetbaggers, Scalawag, and Freedmen. And what I did was I 
reconstructed their lives. They're not well-known characters, but I reconstructed their lives, and I ultimately depended, decided that although they were going about things in entirely different ways, and they clashed, and you know, they came together at this one moment in Tuscaloosa in 1868, um, they were all after the same thing, although they were after, they were trying to figure out how to live their life freely. They were after freedom, although they understood freedom in four completely different ways. And I think that's um, instructive for us to, to think that freedom is not the same thing for everybody. And um, maybe there are other ways of looking at freedom than maybe we thought about. That's a, a powerful observation. And certainly, uh, go all the way back to you know, Edmund Morgan, American slavery, American freedom, one one person's freedom may be built on another person's slavery in some cases. So uh, certainly you're right there, not at all the same thing. Well, we are unfortunately at the end of our time. We'll have to uh, leave this here. But listeners, you'll want to take a look at Guarding Greensboro, a Confederate company in the making of a Southern community by G. Ward Hubs. Guy, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for being on the show. Well, this has been great. And as I said, it's been an honor too. So I had a lot of fun. Uh, I did too. Listeners, I hope you did. And thank you, as always, for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Thank you for embarking on a part of American history this week. Civil War Talk Radio with Jerry Prokopovich can be heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. (laughs) 